Welcome to New Persuasive Words, a podcast of hope-seeking understanding. You're invited to listen in to an ongoing conversation about theology, culture, and politics between your co-hosts, Scott Jones and Bill Bohr. Regardless of topic, Bill and Scott offer intelligent insights and critiques, sometimes funny, occasionally contentious, but always remaining friends. Now, here are Scott and Bill. Welcome back to the show. This is episode 230. I'm Scott Jones. And I'm Bill Bohr, and we have more episodes than we've made. <laughs> that's, that's the closest version I could have to your favorite Trump quote. Yeah, at a recent rally, Donald Trump was quoted as saying he has kept more promises than he's made, which is, I mean, is that let grammatic? I wouldn't, a promise has to be promised. It's like you can't. For it to be kept, doesn't it have to be proffered? I think it should be a Merle Haggard song. <laughs> I turned 21 in prison because I made more promises than I kept, but my mama wept. It's, I don't I, get I, it, dude. I do not get it. I mean, I don't get how that, I, I just don't get it. By the way, any of you out there in Nashville, I'm open for a contract, and that song is not copyrighted yet. I'm happy to finish it. I mean, right. that, like that. that could be a country song. I made more promises than I kept. <laughs> or I kept more promises than I made. That could, you could play with that in the verse. <laughs> I like that. So here we are to, to talk a little bit about today in our series, which may end today or may not. We're not sure, but redoing an episode because we had some technical sound problems, which the sound waves look good today. Yeah, we did. This. We had some, I think we had brain problems too. On that one, didn't we? Many times. Well, many. you know, we just didn't quite say it the way we wanted to. So, so today let's talk a little about nature and grace. Yes, this is our theological mulligan. <laughs> I like a mulligan. Yeah, I like it too. Winter rules all year round. Every hole. <laughs> I, li- I like that. Yeah. So, one of the things, I mean, it's, this is probably the overarching question, really, an overarching category of these, these last theological podcasts we've been doing. Yeah, it's, yeah, this is a big sort of catch-all, Maybe perhaps. Yeah, and it's helpful probably for us. That's, why don't we define, when we talk about nature and grace, and particularly by putting them in contrast to each other, what are we actually saying? Or what has the, how has the tradition understood this kind of um, binary? At least, it's, I don't know, it's, it's binary categories. Uh, I think in our podcast that will never be heard, we kind of merged them. But, <laughs> but, what is, but when we talk about that, the historical, at least, let's so, put this contextually. This is how Edward Oakes defines this. All right. Make it a little more light here. Edwards Oak says, traditionally, the two prongs of this paradox, nature considered in itself as a true subspecies of grace, and grace considered as radically distinctive from nature, comes with a terminology. Those who stress the continuity between nature and grace are called intrinsicists, while those who stress the distinction between the two are called extrinsicists. Now, it's interesting because you'll often hear kind of conservative Protestants accuse Roman Catholics as being intrinsicist, right? Like, right. like as having this sort of, uh, you know, grace completes nature and sort of a cozy relationship. Whereas, you know, casting traditional Protestants like Luther and Calvin as extrinsicist, right? Well, because that's probably not, I mean, I think it'd be pretty easy to put Aquinas in the extrinsicist category, depending on how you yeah, no, frame I, that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Particularly, yeah. But I mean, you know, you can look at this as a, as a sense of is salvation how much continuity and discontinuity is there in the redemptive work of God? Is it, I mean, that would be the sort of 
you know, shorthand way to put it. Yeah, and when you say in a tradition, it really began as a, I mean, it, to me, part of the Pelagian-Augustinian controversy is an issue of, and I hate using this distinction, but a, an issue of that would involve what was the ideal Christian life, um, maybe what we would call sanctification. That issue became really an argument about justification, or right? how are we saved? Instead of What's the process by which we are being saved and growing into the Christian life? That really, with Augustine, it becomes an issue of what's the nature of, of being initiated and maintained in a Christian life. Yeah. Because in a lot of ways, I mean, it is a post-Augustinian problem. It's a post-Augustinian issue, I would say, in many ways. You mean like the development of it? Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think, and then, of course, the Protestant Reformation, as you just kind of, that, that brings a whole other, I mean, the late medieval period, Luther, Calvin, that, that brings a whole other kind of, uh, once the, the Protestant divide happens, then it becomes a different kind, I mean, it becomes even a more, more greater issue. Yeah. So, it's interesting because there's this, I, I want to read you a passage that, from, that I'm quoting from, this is Oaks quoting a scholar here, O'Connor, about Aquinas. Uh, and he says, he says this, O'Connor here. Is it not true that God is our beatitude? Has it not been revealed that the vision of God is the end of man? That is the whole point. It is a revealed truth that the vision of God is the only historical end man has ever had, so that the purely natural man with a purely natural end has never existed. Does this mean that the human will, by its very nature, has an intrinsic necessary tendency towards God, or the vision of God as our beatitude? Does it mean that the intellect is tending by its nature as intellect prior to all actual knowledge towards this vision as the only object that can finally put an end to its unlimited craving for truth? In other words, has every intellectual creature a natural desire for the beatific vision? When the question is worded in this fashion, St. Thomas Aquinas' answer is... No. Yep, that's what Connor says, a straightforward no. That this idea that, like, you know, you... you this Augustinian idea that our hearts are restless until they rest in thee, that that, that, that would, Aquinas probably wouldn't want to put that fine a point on it. Right. That, that actually there's a sort of natural, that, that, that in the, in the fall, right. in in, in the tragedy of the fall, the, the supernatural virtues are affected, right. Faith, hope, love, the capacity. They don't exist. They don't exist. They're yeah. eradicated. Right. Yeah. But then, but the natural virtues Still do, still do. Which is now, this is people like De Lubac and the De, the um, his sort of tribe in French or 20th century modern Catholic theology worry about this because it sounds like it, it, the the sort of neo Thomist gets extremely dualistic. Like, well, you know, you need special revelation to be saved, but if you want to really learn how to run a country, just go read Aristotle. <laughs> you know, you can, I mean, it gets. Yeah, Aquinas uh, would not say that. Right, right. But I mean, this is. But you get these sort of. Yeah, you could see why that would happen. Yeah, right. You, you, you almost. I mean, natural theology becomes totally disconnected. It, it's as if it stands alone instead of being a subset or a subway of understanding the initial what Oak says that the that you know the, the reason we exist is for for God and the the idea of natural theology in some levels grew out of the need to explain, well, there's a lot of stuff that happens without any explicit, you know, uh, mention of God or, you know, or even recognition of the divine. Yeah, and, and you know, it's interesting because you, you, you have this sort of sense, it, it, certain people argue, there's a whole actually cottage industry of people that argue that 
and again, I think this argument is probably oversimplified, but that would say that this kind of Aquinas, this move of Aquinas to say divorce nature and grace in that in that way, for instance, with the five ways, right? Like here, God, you know, you can you can know all this stuff about God. Now you could know that God is triune, or that Israel is is the people of God, or that there's an incarnation. But you could know that there's one God, that that God is the God of the Omnis. There's a creator creature distinction. That God is the you know first cause, the telos of all things, that sort of thing. That 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 is sort of some people would argue that lays the groundwork for modern atheism. So if if you if yeah, you, but, if you yeah. divorce this sort of natural knowledge of God from the special knowledge of that, then you drive this wedge, and then you get you yeah, keep but, going down the path. Yeah, but I think you know you have to you have to judge that project in its context. I mean, I think if uh, if Aquinas was alive today, okay, you know what would be how would he talk about if he wanted to do that five ways of thinking about God or five ways of thinking about God's existence? I think his his point of departure would be okay. We have a Big Bang. And what can we? What do we know? What do we not know for the Big Bang? I actually think you know he's using Aristotelian, you know, logic there, and, and even Aristotelian physics to use kind of what what they understood how the world worked, both the laws of you know what they we would call uh, the laws of nature, and and from him everything based you know Aristotle's based on movement. So that was the scientific worldview of his time, and so he's actually taking what that science was. And saying how how we explain our universe, and also how do we and how we explain knowledge. So it's epistemology too. It's Aristotelian epistemology, and so he used that as a way. Okay, how will we talk about God? So let's say you and I knew something about quantum physics. I don't know anything about. I don't know much about quantum physics. But let's say we want to have a discussion about what does quantum physics teach us about the possibilities of a other a being that is other than us. Well, then that would be a similar kind of exercise. Uh, I don't. Well, it would depend on what you said because I think I can think you might say a lot if you are, you know, inclined like Aquinas is. If you were like Karl Barth or in that school, you might say very little. It's a great thing to study, but it tells you nothing about God. Well, but, in that, in that, in that, it do, or it doesn't tell you anything about God outside of special revelation. So you know, there's a difference between natural theology and a theology of nature, right? So, so starting from the presupposition that there's a God that exists and that God's revealed in Jesus Christ and that sort of thing, and then you look at nature, and then you know, with the lens of that, and then you see intentionality. You know, you see, you know, the, you know, the, the heavens and earth, you know, bear witness to, you know, to his glory. But that's very different than saying, like Aquinas does, any rational being, the other day, show me a great, give me a blade of grass and I'll show you God exists sort of thing. That's sort of saying, assuming nothing but basic rationality. But that's still, they're still part of under the Greco, Greco-Roman idea that there's a oneness. There's a one. There's a oneness, but the divide hasn't happened, the modernity divide. There's still this sense of uh, sure, sure. No, I'm not saying that there is, but I think some people are, would argue that the seed of the divide is there. I'm not saying I'm arguing that. Yeah, I'm just yeah. saying some people argue that. I just think I think he was one of the most brilliant people ever existed, and he was using all his faculties to engage in what he loved and believed, and that was in the the God that was revealed uh, and taught in the Holy Catholic Church. And also to say that, like, and he was trying to save the. Yeah, he was trying to save it as well. Yeah. So, but I'm just saying, what I'm saying is, and even if, I mean, of course that wouldn't have been his intention, Like, but the people, you know, people aren't arguing that that was in Quinas' intention. It's just that... that you, those people can take that and go with it. Right, exactly. That, yeah. if you, you, that it could go, to, you can go down roads in it.
Yeah, you know, yeah. They, well, they I think it's be, probably you can say that Jesus opened the door for a lot of craziness <laughs> as well. <laughs> Certainly, the Apostle Paul. <laughs> Certainly, the Apostle Paul. If if you are accountable for how people interpret you, then the Apostle Paul is in trouble. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. You know, if we were, I mean, part of this whole discussion was, all right, you know, kind of how, you know, we talk, you know, I guess, is there a coherency behind how we apply these things? And so how can you infer what our, can you go backwards from what we've said and infer what we, how we approach this nature and grace issue? I don't know if we can or not. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, there's still, and this is probably, I mean, I, I don't pretend that the modern project hasn't happened and the great divide has happened, the great divorce, if you would. I do. Sometimes I just come out <laughs> and put on 14th century clothes and say, there is no modernity, and just start churning butter. I tell you, hand-churned butter is excellent. I believe it. Yeah, it's excellent. I want to take a brief moment to ask you a quick question. Do you like this podcast? Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning, afternoon, or evening routine, or while you're exercising, or while you're caught frustrated in traffic? Do you tune into it because of the conversations you find here? If the answer to the aforementioned questions is yes, or even just a solid maybe, would you do something for me? Would you consider becoming a Patreon sponsor of the podcast for just five bucks a month? Or more, it's for a good cause. You can help this podcast and one of the many others I do keep going. And you can help launch several other podcast projects I've got in the works. So I invite you to be a patron through Patreon of this, which I think is an art form you're enjoying and will continue to enjoy. Again, any contribution is welcome, but for five bucks a month, you will get a shout out on the thank you roll call, which begins right now. Thank you, David Babico, Ellis Brazil, David Zoll, Sari Graham, Peter Steigerwald, Samantha Blythe, David Norling, Charlotte Donlin, Barry Stewart, Larry Rule, Stephen Lipless, John Schneider, Ben Crosby, Liam O'Brien, Jim Cress, Stephen Rowe, Ben DeHart, Jordan Morseberger, Josh Redder, Jennifer Underwood, Kai Whitpenig, Simone Garabedian, Jim Kirk, Samantha Konauer, and Jordan DeMaze. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening, and now back to the show. But I, you know, I think there is something that, that appeals to me in terms of this idea of, of that if all truth is God's truth, and if there's a sense where if everything is working towards the good, or if God's in everything working towards the good, then that sometimes the division between grace and nature is not helpful. Now, it's it's necessary when you're dealing with late medieval, um, you know, nominalist, and I think that you know, I think that's ne- it's necessary at that point. I actually think it was necessary. I think um, I think it was good that Pelagius lost uh, on some of the things because I think it was necessary there because the kind of Christianity that um, that Pelagius was advocating, and I would say the kind of Christianity that late the implications of a lot of the late medieval nominalism was was a very elitist Christianity with only few a very few of uh, the superstars, the people who were who could live exemplary lives making it in the kingdom of God. And I don't think that's the—I think that's contrary to what God was up to in the cross. Um, but having—but making such a such a extreme distinction, I mean, uh, 
I mean, for instance, I know why Karl Barth said nine, <laughs> but I think if you go, if you take that to extremes, there's so much of the richness of the Christian tradition and so much of, of how we can, how grace works itself out in the world that can be lost if we, if we divide. Uh, there's times to divide the wall. There's times to build the wall. And I, for me, there are two that I just thought are legitimate times to build that wall between nature and grace. Two particularly historically pivotal times where I think the Protestant Reformation uh, throughout maybe the baby with the bathwater, but in, but there needed to be a no said to the late um, medieval period. There certainly needed to be a nine said to uh, the German Christian movement. And I think Augustine, uh, I don't uh, particularly late Augustine, I think it lost his way, but I think there had to be a alternative to Pelagius' vision of what the ideal Christian life is. So there's time to make, there are times to build this wall and remind us that it's grace alone. But then sometimes I think we need to flesh out the breadth of what that grace can be. Yeah, and I think Bart is an interesting case to end this because it's not that Bart doesn't think there's revelations of the triune God, not as the triune God. I mean, in, in Church Dogmatics uh, 1-2, he says that God can reveal himself in a flute concerto a communist manifesto or a dead dog. And I take that like to mean actually like Mozart, Marxism and cynicism, like a dead dog. I mean, like, so I'm thinking like, but, and you know, later he talks about the words and lights, the words, you know, the other words outside they're you know, witnesses to the true word. So, So it's not that Bart doesn't think that God is restricted to the church to reveal himself or that only, Right, you know, there's not extraordinary means of God's working in the world. It's just it's it's how you account for that, or what you what you think. I mean, how you view the human condition are those things are those things plentiful and yet always special and particular, or are they? Well, everybody's got these capacities, and if you just look, you find them. You know, whereas you get the sense. With Aquinas' five ways. I mean, that's not the sense. That's what Aquinas says. Right. Anybody that thinks can see this. Right. You know, um, where, although anybody who thinks Immanuel Kant thinks none of those proofs work. <laughs> uh, you know, that, right. but uh, yeah. So, I mean, I, 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 I wouldn't, Bart's nine is tricky on that because, because I, I you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to treat Bart's saying no to natural theology as meaning that he thinks you just sort of stick your, keep your nose in your Bible and are not a worldly person seeking to be enriched in your knowledge of God and love for him and and the world he made, you know, just by reading the Bible or something. It's not a, it's not a parochial kind of view. Well, no, I think he's saying no to what von Balthasar describes as what happens to Western tradition in the post enlightenment days. You, know, you say no to 19th century liberalism in some ways. Right, yeah, yeah. And, and, theological liberalism. And, and, and yeah, no to sort of bottom-up kind of theological projects, which, which he, I mean, I think he thinks a sort of too cozy relationship between nature and grace is going to naturally lead to, that you're going to see sort of, and again, you, again, we could talk about how to read Aquinas properly all day, but you, the armchair reading, you get the sense. Part one is what you get with natural reason. Part two is where that leads you. You know, right. you're led to this sort of, you know, Solomon's portico or something. Right, but that's not. That's not really what I don't think. That's again. I understand why people get that way, and part of it because 
he's such an infinitely uh, my one of my favorite quotes is, is this maybe Chesterton? Um, Aquinas is only hard to understand when he's talking about hard things. <laughs> uh, I mean, he's an ex- once you learn the language, it's an accessible. There's a clarity. absolutely there's absolutely, a clarity. Absolutely. So part of he's guilty of being bold to try to articulate things that others couldn't try to do, but. Um, but I think we certainly can say, you know, where, you know, both the problems, I mean, we would want to say no to some neo-Thomism as well as we would want to say no to bottom-up Christianity um, of the 19th century um, that has had such a profound influence, still influences a lot of um, Protestant thought. I don't know if it does anymore. It'd be great if it still influenced. Well, I'm, I'm, <laughs> we might have devolved well, to I mean, generate down I mean, to the point where, where to, that would be an insult to the 19th century. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, because you it's a lot le- great about the 19th century. I, I agree. In some levels, you either get you either and, and you know you either get barred or you have you know you have ashes to make little figures out of. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's part of why. I mean, again, in some levels. It's unfortunate that uh, certain liberal Protestants have just evolved into activism because activism is so infinitely sacred and important. And when you reduce Christianity to merely to activism, you've 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 missed you lose the Christ in the poor and you lose the sacramental dimension of it. And I think that's um, that's why some I, I I agree often with their issues and I so disagree with. Or maybe I agree with their, their Sometimes concerns. Sometimes it's not even that active. Yeah, it's like true. Michelle Wolf, the comic. She's like, people say the American obesity rate climbed. No, it didn't. It might have sat on its couch <laughs> and got bigger. No, I, I, we we like to talk about stuff. There's, we like to have position papers. Lot, uh, yeah, like position papers, task force, and uh, um, meaningful demonstrations. But uh, getting your hands dirty, actually doing the work of the poor, with the poor, and work for justice, and a hard work of racial reconciliation. Um, all that, that's difficult. That's hard, hard Black stuff. Black unemployment huh? at an all-time low. Yeah, right. <laughs> Donald yeah. Trump is doing it, man. Do you, yeah. By the way, do you know, so basically a lot of Republican strategists are thinking like, wow, you know, I mean, the white college-educated woman, it, it, like that's, that demographic is really shifting, you know, like, and, and Republicans might not, that just might, not be rich. So a strategy said, well, they're going to make it up from other places. Like, like where? African-Americans. <laughs> That's amazing. Katie Turr on the episode was like, she started panning the Trump rally. Show me the faces that aren't white. I saw two at the Florida rally, I think. Did you see two? I, I did. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, next time um, people are, you know, see a film of, I don't know, Pick some religion having some religion in some other country having a radical, angry rally calling for death. <laughs> Let's just remember what we saw in Florida. Yeah, and prob- yeah. probably what we'll see in Wilkesboro tonight. Uh, oh wait, wait, oh wait, he's in Wilkesboro tonight, oh, or no. Saturday? No, I think Saturday. I'm sorry, it's this weekend. Yeah, very exciting. Yeah. So, anyway, so I think you know it's interesting because we may be able to follow up this because I have so many. I still have so many more thoughts, but I think like these issues are complicated because although say someone like Karl Barth seems like a radical extrinsicist, right? Yet he's going to want to sort of have such a radically Christ. He's going to sound like De Lubac mm-hmm. or von Balthasar in this sort of radically uniting, you know, Christ and creation. Right. Now the problem, the, the sort of comeback on that for the people that want to sort of push back on nature and grace, say, well, you, then grace isn't grace. And you know, these things, it becomes, 
a necessity and part of grace is its gratuity, right? Like love is not love if it's not freely given. Uh, and yet there, there does seem to be, uh, you know, a manifold witness in the New Testament that this, that Christ was not plan B, Christ was plan A. And so somehow that, you know, he's the, the alpha and omega of the prior. So that, so that if you make too much of a distinction between nature and grace, then somehow you seem to strain right. that, that, you know, segment of script that that thrust of scripture in a way that would break it yeah i mean in other words a, a creator who, who builds a carbon-based uh world <laughs> is gonna have to redeem that world one way or the other yeah 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 so that's that's uh yeah and i also think too i think sometimes this is i think particularly a uh no, a protestant problem it happens maybe oh and that's not so true because i've been reading some of these I'm on some of these weird Facebook sites, and I... You're still Protestant, right? I'm still Protestant, Okay, yeah. I'm just checking. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, but they, I can, it's good to see that there are uh, really stupid, myopic Roman Catholics and Orthodox people as well as, as Protestants. That, that comforts you? That gives me comfort, it does. <laughs> I'm glad. Well, because usually I hang out with the, I hang out with pretty ecumenical, academically, spiritually sophisticated people from those groups, and it's just nice to realize that, uh, yeah... That there are there are you know there are redneck Greeks as well. But <laughs> anyway, having said that, make orthodoxy great again. <laughs> I think sometimes we take you know we inherit this language, we inherit the controversies. Yeah. You know, so for instance, all the you know the, I mean the arguments with the neo reform people. I hate those neo whatever they are now. The people who are who are reformed now and who have somehow rediscovered Calvin, and that's. The way they view the world, and and they're an influence, and it's always been, you know, um, I mean, it was, you know, the Calvinistic thinking was was. You should just put paleo in front of your name instead of neo paleo 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 something, yeah. Uh, But um, you know, there's this this sense that sometimes we take these arguments and we act like nothing. We take them out of historical context, yeah. And I think that's prob. I think that's. Problem and they become abstractions. Yeah, abstractions because I think that you, what you put in Barton's context, you just nuanced him very much. Because some people, all they know about it is that you know, say, "Well, no, Karl Barth was totally against anything." Yeah, no, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the same thing when they think they know what Aquinas is doing, right? Yeah. Right. So I think you know it's it's helpful to understand that um, you know is to think about. Um, it's always good to go back to the scriptures, see what the Bible teaches, and also. In some levels, ask what are the presenting challenges to the gospel in our day and age. I mean, in other words, what where is the where is the uh, saving news of Christ? Where is the news of God's love? What are the walls? What are the theological, epistemological, sociological, whatever those walls are, and particularly walls that are in among religious people. <laughs> you know, I'm not talking about the walls out there. And yeah. which ones are Mexico paying for? Yeah. <laughs> but what are the things that are preventing us from? Um, from sharing the gospel, it's not the hymnal, and it's not the organ. That's not that's not what it is, and it's not if you, it's not putting in a screen in front of your church, and it's not getting the screen to work. Those yeah, <laughs> if you put one in, make sure it works. <laughs> I'm sorry. So, uh, well, you know, yeah, whatever, yeah. <laughs> whatever you choose to do, <laughs> make sure it works. Yeah, make do sure. a couple of trial runs before. Yeah, do a few trial but runs. you know, maybe I'll leave with this thought. Maybe we'll take we'll take it up. Is there is there uh, created grace? That could be for the next. Uh, yeah, yeah, because that's maybe an interesting way to talk about that. The nature right. grace. All next right. podcast. Is there created grace? All right. Thanks, everybody. Be careful out there. 
Hey listeners, thanks for joining us for today's episode of New Persuasive Words. Hope you enjoyed Scott and Bill's conversation and will join us back here next time. Until then, thanks for listening and God bless.